This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Back with another weekly episode on our Lovely and certainly not forgotten Turn on the Jets podcast feed. Today we are going to do a mailbag episode. Got a lot of great questions over the weekend. Got to answer some, but certainly not all of them on Twitter. Uh, Also got a few more trickled in throughout the week. So going to go about 25, 30 minutes answering all your questions, which range from free agency to the NFL draft uh, to some questions about the current structure of the organization. Also going to stick on the back half of this podcast, a 10-minute snippet from one of our episodes of Badlands, which is our premium subscription podcast, which if you follow me on Twitter and follow TurnOnTheJets.com, you have heard more than enough about. Um, Before I give a little more information on that, a reminder, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, available always on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. As free agency gets a little closer, the volume of audio on this feed will increase. We'll continue to get back into our normal rhythm of interviews. We've been lucky enough to have two great interviews the past two weeks with Jordan Reed and Jonah Tulse from the Draft Network. Thank you again to James Kuntz for doing a great job in hosting those interviews. And uh, we'll be in our normal rotation as free agency and the draft get a little bit closer. Uh, With Badlands, that is a 10-part audio docu-series on the New York Jets hosted by myself and Connor Rogers. You go to turnonthejets.podbean.com. Every episode is ad-free. Every episode is between 40 and 60 minutes. Uh, Definitely, I would argue, worth your $9.99. You will not just get the 10 episodes for that $9.99. You get a 12-month subscription, and Connor and myself will periodically every few weeks let's call it about once a month, be dropping in another long-form episode uh, about stuff that is happening with the team. So grading out how they do in free agency, previewing the NFL draft, grading out their draft picks, previewing minicamp, previewing training camp, all that good stuff, uh, we will include those on the feed. So after you listen and enjoy this episode, head over to turnonthejets.podbean.com. The first 300 people who subscribe, we're currently at like 2.30 as of the time I'm recording this. Uh, We're going to pick out some random winners out of that 300. One person will get to co-host this podcast with me, uh, complain about some of the stuff we do with TOJ, or hopefully agree with some of the stuff we say at TOJ. Uh, One person will get a Le'Veon Bell bobblehead doll, and another person will get a New York Jets jersey of their choice. So one last time before we get into your questions, turn on the jets.podbean.com. All right, let's dive into some of your questions First question from at Danny Bag Z. Are the Jets really leaking out negative information about their players, specifically Le'Veon Bell? Because a lot of people are attacking me for insinuating that they are. To piggyback on this, are the leaks about Le'Veon specifically to make Gase look more competent, or is it to placate friends if the Jets found a suitable trade partner? Interesting, nuanced question. Look, this is what I can say. There is no clear-cut way to prove who or what all the leaks that have been negative about Bell, where have they been coming from? There's been a consistent volume of them, and I could tell you that from 
the time that the Jets hired Adam Gase to when they were considering hiring Le'Veon Bell, I and many other people around the team who cover the team have consistently heard that Adam Gase wanted absolutely nothing to do with that signing. He was very vocal about it. It was one of the reasons I was actually really surprised the Jets ultimately did end up landing Bell because I had heard that leading into free agency that Gase wanted no part of it and was not shy about telling everyone about it. Now, they did ultimately sign him. We saw how they used him this year. We heard some of the leaks pretty consistently throughout the year, uh, always kind of popping up in the same places. You know, he's out bowling. Should he be doing this when he's sick? He looks like he put on weight. Uh, is he going to show up or not show up to workouts? Gase is also regularly sound, sounded a little less than enthused when talking about him publicly. Uh, I don't know. Usually where there's smoke, there's fire with these situations. Is it as straightforward as Adam Gase calling up a reporter and saying, Say these terrible things about Le'Veon Bell. No, I don't. I don't think it works like that in the football media ecosystem. Uh, do I think there is a feeling in that building from the offensive coaches, coaching staff, which includes Adam Gase, that they're not overly thrilled with that signing and they would not have minded finding a way to move on from him? And when they have conversations with different people in the media, this kind of regularly comes up, whether it's from Gase or from other people around him. Yeah, I don't think that's a crazy thing to think. I don't think the Jets. Trading Le'Veon Bell was never a realistic thing. It just did not make any sense from a financial standpoint. Why would you pay this guy to play somewhere else next year in exchange for likely a mid-round pick at best when you could move on from his contract after this upcoming season? All you would be doing is creating another hole in your offensive depth chart, which has plenty of holes already. You're already likely going to lose Robbie Anderson. You're going to lose another 60 catches from Le'Veon Bell and need to go find a starting running back. It's not like they have a back. It's a different story if they had a number two back right now who they felt could step into a much larger role. They have Ty Montgomery, who they barely used last year, who's probably not going to be around next season. And you have Bilal Powell, who looked okay last year, but how can you count on him at this stage of his career? So there's no ready-made filler for Bell. So if you're going to trade him and pay him to play somewhere else next year, you have to go acquire someone else on top of the receivers that they need and the offensive linemen that they need. So... I just don't think, A, there was going to be much of a robust trade market for him because of how his contract was structured. Uh, And B, I just don't think it made any logical financial or team building sense for the Jets to trade him. So um, I think leaking it to make fans happier if they traded him would have been a a futile effort because most fans could kind of see the situation for what it is and also saw how the Jets used Bell or failed to use Bell in the passing game last year and the offensive line that he was generally dealing with. So look, my hope is that Le'Veon Bell is back next year. The Jets find a better, smarter way to use him. He's a valuable resource for Sam Darnold. And if it does not make sense when it's all said and done to keep him in 2021, then you move on from his contract. But I think at this point, to get rid of him would be foolish. And it does not seem like ultimately is going to ha- it is going to happen. Uh, but let's see how it plays out this offseason. What would be, this question is from Marvin Hernandez. Uh, I'm sorry, Marvin Henriquez. What would be the most unexpected but pleasant surprise and realistic move the Jets could make this offseason? I'd like to see them make an aggressive move for a wide receiver. Uh, I feel like you could usually buy pretty low on the veteran receiver trade market. We saw the Jets do this in 2015 with Brandon Marshall, and it worked out really well for 2015. Not so much for 2016, but for 2015, it was a great move. So could they find a way to go get 
Stefan Diggs at, for, I don't know, a second or third round pick or one of their two third round picks and maybe a future pick. A guy who really could be easily in a thousand yard receiver for Sam Donald. I don't think Odell Beckham is a pragmatic thing to think is going to happen. I personally would be excited by exploring that, but I know many people disagree with that. I just also don't think it's realistic. Diggs, though, I, I think you should absolutely be sniffing around uh, if there is a chance of the Vikings trading him and pulling off that kind of move to get Sam Darnold uh, a lead receiver to replace Robbie Anderson, I think could happen uh, and would be a nice and needed move because I am all about getting Sam Darnold as much help as possible. You know, Diggs is kind of the name that jumps, you know, top of mind because I don't really think Odell's going to get moved. I'm not sure how I feel about A.J. Green coming off an injury at this stage of his career. Um, I'm not crazy about going after Emmanuel Sanders at his age and how he finished last season. So I know those guys are bigger names, but Diggs is the one that kind of pops out to me that I would say, you know what? I might not mind giving up one of my two third round picks and a future mid round pick for him just to make sure Darnold has just as many weapons as absolutely possible next year. Because in my mind, Robbie Anderson's a goner. So I already wrote him off in my head, which means the Jets current receiver group under contract is Jamison Crowder. Uh, Vincent Smith and Braxton Berrios, because uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Quincy Inouye. Demarius Thomas is a free agent. Who knows if it really is even smart to bring him back. Uh, so they need a lot of work there. So I- I'm definitely intrigued by a prospective move for a veteran receiver. Next question from Chief Garvey. If also, great handle, love the leftovers reference, got to shout it out. Uh, if you only splurge on one of the following position groups in free agency, Offensive line, cornerback, or edge? What would it be? Offensive line. Anytime you pose a question to me this offseason that has offense versus defense or has offensive line versus anything, I'm always going offense and I'm always going offensive line. All I care about this offseason is over-investing in the offense to course-correct how much the Jets have invested in their defense over the past few years. There is... The most important player in the Jets organization is Sam Darnold. He is going into a massively critical season for him, for himself, in his third year. The Jets were the worst offensive team in the NFL last year. They were a borderline top 10 defensive team last year. Offense is far more important and predictive of winning than defense in the NFL right now. The Jets have enough on defense to compete. They are getting C.J. Mosley back, who they made the highest paid inside linebacker in the NFL. They've used... Countless first-round picks on defensive players, particularly interior defensive linemen. They have Quinton Williams, who should make a sophomore jump. They should be fine on defense. Yes, they should make some additions at corner and edge. Yes, those positions are not as deep as you'd like them to be. It is still much more important that this team jumps from 32 to 10 to 15 on offense than them treading water around 10 on defense they could go back down a few spots on defense and still be fine if they make a bigger not big enough jump on offense so when free agency opens i would be looking to go over the top to make sure you could get a guy like joe thuny or a guy like jack conklin uh, or if you can't get one of them can you get a connor mcgovern a graham glasgow uh, can you get an andres pete if you can't get one of those top tier guys but i would Back up the Brinks truck for Thuney. You weaken a team in your division in the Patriots. You lock down that guard spot, which has been a problem for so long. You move on from Brian Winters. You start Thuney. You start Lewis at guard. 
with your first round pick, you focus on getting a tackle. Uh, now you now you now you feel you feel defensive line spots still work to be done, and I would add multiple players in free agency, but that gives you a strong base to work from. Uh, so I would really focus on going all in on offensive line and free agency. It's also really not that exciting uh, of a cornerback group. Edge looks more exciting than I think it ultimately will be on paper. Uh, because I don't know how many of these guys ultimately are actually going to switch teams. Uh, who's going to get franchised? Who's going to resign with their current team? You could see guys like Shaq Barrett and Fowler staying with their current teams or getting the franchise tag. And are the Jets going to go above and beyond to pay a Clowney or a Yannick after what they paid on Mosley last year? I don't know. I don't know if that's realistic. I wouldn't bet on it happening. So I'm all for going all in on the offensive line. Next question from Billy Bilson. Assuming Robbie Anderson leaves, assume that, assume he will not be on the Jets next year is what I would tell you. Do you think the Jets will go O-line with pick 11, or do you think they will surprise people and go wide receiver like Judy or Lamb? I'd personally go offensive line and let to go wide receiver in round two in a deep class. I think you're thinking about it the right way. What I can say, and I've said this on a, on a few different podcasts, is that from what I've heard, and this could be wrong, it could be smoke, teams lie this time of the year, I've heard that there is no way the Jets will take a receiver in the first round, particularly at number 11. Their plan is to take an offensive lineman, and if the top four tackles are gone, I think they're going to look to trade down or try to take an edge rusher uh, or a corner. I don't think they're going to take a receiver at 11. I'm not saying I personally agree with that, although I generally am not crazy about taking a receiver that high because... It's just very hit or miss, and I think you can find receivers in the middle rounds. And if there is ever a year to find the receiver, find receivers, multiple receivers in the middle rounds, it's this year. This is an extremely deep, versatile, talented wide receiver class, and the Jets have two third-round picks and a pretty high second-round pick. So I do think in many ways it does make sense to wait until day two and maybe take two swings at receiver. I would not be against them using that second and one of their two-thirds on a receiver uh, to really make sure you're doing everything you can to replace Robbie Anderson. In a perfect world, in my mind, the Jets get one of the top four tackles at 11. They go receiver with at least one of their day two picks. Uh, I would absolutely would not mind them using two of the three picks on a receiver. And then uh, they also add another receiver for depth purposes and free agency. So that's kind of how I expect to see it breaking out. I would be looking for the Jets to go offensive line at 11, and if somehow those four guys are gone, um, Thomas, Becton, uh, Wirfs, Wills, then I think I could see them going edge, corner, or looking to trade down. And we always talk about the Jets trading down, and it never, uh, never really seems to happen, but that's kind of how I think it will play out. I think you can make a fair argument that they should just take Lamb or Judy in that situation. I just don't know if I'd expect it to happen. Next question from from John Filippi. This isn't really being talked about, but I think it's a big deal seeing what happened this season. Do you see the Jets going out and getting a veteran quarterback to back up Darnold like a Keenum or a Daniels or maybe a Flacco? It's a pretty interesting question. Look, I mean, Darnold's missed three games each of his first two years. Uh, obviously, last year's circumstances were, were pretty unique. I don't think we're he's going to get mono two years in a row, but he did miss three games his rookie year, too. So it's negligent to assume he's definitely going to start all 16 games because we haven't seen it yet in the NFL. Now, from what we know about Adam Gase and Dow Loggins, they're going to want guys who know and are comfortable with their system. It's why they signed Trevor Simeon last year, who on paper made 
enough sense as a backup. Uh, obviously got hurt right away, leaving us with Luke Falk, another guy who quote-unquote knew the system but was just terrible at football. Yeah, I'd feel a lot better with a guy like Case Keenum who obviously has his limitations but has done more recently than Trevor Simeon. I would not be surprised if the Jets brought Simeon back. I don't see them bringing in a guy like Flacco who has won a Super Bowl and has a lot of name notoriety, uh, even though he's pretty washed at this point, just because I don't think the Jets want anyone around. And this would not make any sense, but you would still get this kind of chatter who there could be clamoring for if Darnold struggled for a week or two. You want a guy who's very, very, very clearly the backup. Uh, so that's not even a consideration. And I mean, look, the reality is if Darnold misses an extended period of time, uh, again, the Jets got much bigger problems, but um, yeah, I think on paper it makes sense. A guy like Case Keenum, a guy like Matt Moore, who does actually have experience with Case, uh, would do better than a Trevor Simeon, but I would not be surprised if they tried to run it back with Simeon if he is recovered in time and is healthy, although he obviously has plenty of limitations uh, with his game overall. Next question. I'm gonna scroll back here to some of the ones that we got over the weekend. I got one from uh, from our good friend Dalvin Asario, which was, "What free agency signing and draft pick do you want the most?" Meaning, if the Jets drafted this guy and signed this other guy, so basically a free agency NFL draft combo. And I answered it, and it goes back to something that I I talked about earlier on this pod: offensive line. Go sign Joe Thune. Uh, and draft, let's call it Andrew Thomas, who I, I like a lot. Uh, I think the top four tackles are very tightly bunched together. I don't think there's a massive gap between any of the four of them. Personally, I, I kind of like Thomas uh, more than the rest. I'm not sure why he's sliding a little bit. Uh, I think he has the highest floor, and maybe I'm just... I want someone with a high floor at this point after how the Jets have struggled with some of their draft picks, but I think he could immediately step in and be a more than competent starter. And if they got him and they got Thune... Uh, they bring Alex Lewis back. You're feeling a lot better about the offensive line. I would still bring Kelvin Beachum back too. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. It seems that the Jets, you know, think the tackle solution will be someone they draft and probably Chuma Adoga. I don't really agree with that, but that's kind of the chatter I've been hearing. Uh, we'll see if it plays out that way. But a Thune Thomas combination would make me very happy, and I think it would make most Jet fans very happy because it shows they're investing in protecting Sam Darnold, which all of us want to see. Uh, let's keep scrolling here. Uh, from Danny Wilson, who do you think is the most likely free agent the Jets will target? I do actually think Thune will be at the top of the list. Will they be able to get him? I don't know. I'm sure there's about 12 teams who want to sign him, uh, including teams in the Jets division like Miami and Buffalo and New England, who probably wants to bring him back as well and could also franchise him. So... If he does hit the market, I think he will be top-of-the-list target. I think other second-tier offensive linemen that we talked about, McGovern, Glasgow, could be guys that they also look at really early. Um, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that because guys like Emmanuel Sanders uh, and potentially someone like Nelson Aguilar, uh, if he shakes free, uh, could be targets. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case, although it's always worth monitoring uh, guys that have a history with Gase and Douglas. I'm not necessarily crazy about either of those moves, but they absolutely, you know, could happen. Um, you know, defensively, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of corners they look at. I, I would just prioritize getting Brian Poole back before free agency opens. And then, you know, looking at that veteran market, which is not great. 
Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to break the bank for a guy like Bradbury, who's probably going to get a ton of money in free agency this year. Could they look at the second tier, a guy like Bradley Roby, uh, a guy like Darkies Denard, a guy like Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Waynes. I think those are guys that you could see the Jets sniffing around uh, pretty early. But if they're going to go big in free agency, I think it's going to be on the offensive line. And I know it's redundant, but I think that's where their focus is going to be. Uh, next question from Eddie Wu. If the Jets were to consider a trade down, who would be a potential trade partner and the corresponding compensation? Uh, if they get in a situation where they trade down, it means the top four tackles are gone and they're not excited about whatever edge rusher is currently left on the board. You know, would there be someone who does really want to take a receiver at 11? I think those are the kind of teams that you would look at to trade down with because if the four tackles are gone, that likely means someone like Judy or Lamb is available. And if the Jets aren't going to take them at 11, I'm sure there are a couple of teams who would be willing to move up and get uh, get their hands on them. And hopefully if you do that, you know, if the Jets move back, let's figure they move back five to seven spots or something. You hope that you're getting another day two pick back immediately for this year, maybe another second round pick this year and another future middle round pick. Um, and if they do that, would they look at a second-tier offensive lineman? Would they look at a corner uh, in the back half of the first round? Uh, would they maybe even go further back but try to collect more compensation where uh, they really stack up their day-two picks and put themselves in a position where they have four or five day-two picks instead of just the three that they have? I don't know. Uh, I'm really hoping that it does not necessarily come to that. I'm hoping they get one of their four guys, one of their four offensive tackles at 11. Uh, but a trade down is definitely going to be a consideration, probably more than a trade up would be, uh, considering their current collection of picks overall. Um, looking through here, uh, question from F.A. Chris. Do the Jets have someone paying for the franchise tag and why not Robbie? Uh, got a decent amount of questions throughout the offseason about why the Jets aren't tagging Robbie. And I think I'm assuming it's they don't want to pay him the 19 or $20 million that will come with that franchise tag for a wide receiver. Now, you can make an argument that, you know, it's a one-year commitment and they could swing it with their cap space. And I kind of hear where they're coming from, but it just feels like both sides have kind of accepted this relationship is probably over. I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't think there's anyone else the Jets are necessarily going to franchise tag. Uh, I mean, there are other bigger name free agents or Brian Poole or Jordan Jenkins, and I don't think they're going to use that option uh, with those guys. Uh, same with Kelvin Beecham. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets didn't use a franchise tag this year. I think you can make it kind of a compelling case, maybe using the transition tag for Robbie, but it's not something we've heard any chatter about. doesn't mean it can't come out of left field and they wouldn't do it, but Honestly, at this point, I'd be really surprised if the Jets used the transition or the franchise tag. Uh, it would definitely, you know, come out of nowhere. Uh, next question from Mike Ferrari. Should the Jets pursue Taylor Gabriel if he's released? Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting low-cost player, right? You know, he's a veteran. He's not going to cost a lot of money. He's probably, you know, looking at a one-year deal. Has some nice speed and, you know, yak ability. Uh, I think if they lose Robbie Anderson, I'd like to see them add a few bodies to really add some competition and depth to the depth chart. Uh, and Gabriel's an interesting player, you know, can be explosive with the football in his hands, and it's not the most robust free agent market at receiver, which is why Robbie's probably going to get $13, 14000000 from a team out there 
who's willing to come over the top and invest in a 26-year-old receiver who still has some upside and is really right in the middle of his prime. So I don't think Gabriel's a crazy thought. I mean, the names out there are not overly excited, exciting. You know, Rashad Higgins, Devin Funches. I don't think Cooper's going anywhere. Um, some of the other names, Brashad Perryman. Yes, he finished the year strong last year, but there's still some still some risk in going with a player like that. Uh, so we'll see how the receiver group shakes out. Uh, next question from Ryan. Do you think they'll resign Jordan Jenkins? Yeah, I think they'll get something done. Uh, I think Jenkins is a good complementary pass rusher, uh, good at setting the edge, sort of a, a youngish Calvin Pace, if you will. Uh, I don't see any reason to think the Jets won't bring him back. Uh, if they do want to bring him back, they'd be wise not to let him hit the open market. So maybe similar to pool, that's something they'll get done before March 18th or whatever date it is where free agency opens. But I think it's more likely that Brian Poole and Jordan Jenkins are back than it is that Robbie Anderson and Kelvin Beecham are back. So if I had to pick two of the four who will be back, it would be uh, the two defensive players, Poole and Jenkins. We'll do one more question here, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap the episode with a snippet uh, from one of our bot, uh, one of our Badlands podcast episodes. Uh, final one here. Question from at Darnold Dime, Sammy DeYoung Goat. What's your ideal wide receiver core for the Jets next year? Ideal? Uh, I mean, again, I'm operating under the assumption that Robbie Anderson's gone. I think it would be ideal is, let's say, Stephon Diggs is really unhappy and the Vikings are willing to kind of sell low on it. The Jets trade one of their third-round picks this year and a 2021 conditional mid-round pick for Diggs. So you add him. Now you got a guy who you know could go get 1,000 yards for you. He's a veteran presence, uh, has some explosiveness, could get down the field. Second round, maybe you get a guy like Jefferson falls to you with your second-round pick. You add him so you have a younger developmental player uh, a guy who you know might have been a first-round pick in some other years but happened to drop to round two because of how deep this wide receiver class is. So now you got Diggs, you got Jefferson on the other side, you got Crowder in the slot, uh, you have Vincent Smith and Braxton Berrios for some depth, and maybe then you also add a guy like Taylor Gabriel or an Albert Wilson if he gets cut by the Dolphins to further round out the depth chart. You can move on from Demarius Thomas. Anything you get from Quincy Inouye's gravy, uh, you get Chris Herndon back, you have Ryan Griffin coming back, maybe Trevin Wisco does something besides have one carry for one yard next year, and you have a pretty well-rounded group of pass catchers, especially if you factor in using Le'Veon Bell the right way, which certainly would be nice to see the Jets do. So, you know, getting a, a veteran that you feel really good about, not just like okay about, which would be Diggs, uh, having a guy with first-round talent fall to you in round two and pouncing on him, and a guy like Jefferson from LSU, uh, and then adding one more lower-tier veteran for depth to support what you currently have. I think that's a nice collection of weapons uh, for Sam Donner overall to go with his running backs and his tight ends. Thank you, everybody, for your questions on this episode. Be back next week with another episode every Thursday on this feed. We're getting really close to free agency finally, uh, so we'll have uh, a longer discussion with the guests next week about free agency and some of the moves the Jets could prospectively make on it. One last reminder before we jump into a preview of the Badlands podcast, turn on the jets.podbean.com, subscribe, check out all those episodes. I promise, 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 if you are a Jets fan, you will thoroughly enjoy them. Uh, check them out and check out this preview right here. 
And I'm coming in thinking, this is awesome. They signed Matt Forte. They have Eric Decker. They have Brandon Marshall. They have Fitzpatrick, who just came off an amazing season. And, you know, lo and behold, it was a shit year. Yes. <laughs> that's, a polite, that's a polite way to describe it. I, I think it's easy to forget how much, like, quote-unquote star power was on that team. It was Decker, Marshall, Revis was still on that team. Dude, it was so much star power. The whole, the whole locker room. But then they all went down. Don't forget about Mo Wilkerson. Don't forget he held out. Remember, they gave him all that money, and then the guy never showed up to practice. See, these are the, the things that you bring up. You come into a situation, the team was, you know, 10-6. and six. They ended up going 5-11, and 11, but not a lot of people saw that. They finished last in the division. There's probably a lot of answers to this question, but I have to start with just get a broad one. What went wrong? I think the question is what went right that year. Yeah. Nothing went right. And, like, it was also, you know, just a equation of bad luck as well. Like, Eric Decker was having a great year. He went down. Quincy and Noonwall got injured. Um, there was a ton of injuries um, but it starts from the top. I think a lot of it was could have been avoided. Um, there was a lot of rumors about you know the way they were being trained and working out and stuff like that. And McCagnan signed a bunch of old guys, and I think they just started getting old that year. And I think this has been the case with the Jets a lot of times. It's like they can't really hold on to a good fortune. Like Fitzpatrick had a great year next year, crap. You know, Marshall had a great year next year, can't catch a touchdown pass, yep. can't catch a ball at all. Um, so a GM. Bring someone on the team that's going to be good for more than one season, right? And there was just so much show. There was so much drama in the locker room. How far before the season were you, like, in the fold, like, working there, like, um, every day? Probably a, around May. Um, so I had, I was brand new, and then training camp rolled around, and I was like, you know, this, this girl with star eyes, and, like, I couldn't wait to get started. And then, like, the season with all these veterans that are experienced and everything, it just, like, literally crap hit the fan yeah. um and i'm not even saying things that people don't know like you know the locker room was not good that year um you know from top to bottom brandon marshall was fighting everyone he was fighting sheldon richardson he was fighting darrell revis because he thought darrell revis you know mailed it in for when he, he was with the patriots he's still i'm not saying anything yeah, that nobody knows um everyone fitzpatrick was given everyone attitude he thought he was you know, God's gift to earth after his season. Um, there's so much that, you know, we can, if you keep, uh, that we can talk about here um, in the locker room. It was kind of toxic for a while. I think one of the most interesting things to me is that year, literally right before you got there, they draft Christian Hackenberg in the second round. And I mean, we dreaded it. We saw the picture comes out with McCagnan at his pro day watching him. But this creates, I don't want to say a Tebow kind of spotlight, but it created a spotlight on him because, number one, the guy had more doubters, rightfully, than anyone coming into the league. They take him in the second round, three rounds before he's projected to go. And then there's this training camp where you have all eyes are on every rep he gets. He's throwing the ball at team reporters, not on purpose. Was Was this blown up? It oh was worse. God. Like, the guy couldn't... I And, you know, bless his heart, he was a really sweet boy. He's a nice guy. He was put in an impossible situation. He shouldn't have been drafted as high as he was, I don't yeah. think. Um, I mean, I'm no expert. You know, but he came into New York, and he wasn't even that successful in college. And they all of a sudden brought this guy in, and he was supposed to be, like, the next Joe Namath. And it was, you know, an, an impossible situation. But, yeah, back to practice. He would be throwing these little, you know you know, these little passes, like, 10 yards, you know, from the line of scrimmage, and he couldn't hit the guy. He couldn't hit the target. Was that something that, like, the veteran players, like, took notice of right away and were kind of, like, rumbling about? Yeah, I mean, the Jets organization in general, especially the PR team, is they do a really good job of not letting anyone see or hear what they actually think. So, like, 
there's media and then there's me. Like I was on the team side of it. So like I had access that all the other members of the media didn't have, right? But even with me, they knew to like, you know, mind their P's and Q's and, sure. you know, don't talk trash in front of them because although we're team reporters, we're still reporters and I can go on a, I can go on a podcast and let it loose whenever yeah. I want. Not that I have in four years, but, you know, I wish I did, but I didn't. <laughs> um his cheeks would turn, I mean, you could tell how rosy his cheeks would get. And when the media came up on him, you could just tell the kid was so, so nervous. And yeah, he was surrounded by all this, you know, veteran talent. We were talking about Hall of Famers here. And I think the pressure did get to him. Yeah. And I don't think he was handled. I don't think the coaches handled it the, the way they should have. And you mentioned all the different big personalities and conflicts that were like abundantly clear and have since kind of been widely talked about. Was it an everyday thing where it was just completely apparent that all these different guys were going to keep butting heads and like which which ones really like jumped out to you and you were the most surprised by it was like when's the next shoe going to drop you know it was kind of like uh, anxiety at all times um i kind of loved it because that's like my job like you kind of like i said to you earlier like new yorkers love the drama right and that especially as a reporter you like what's going to happen next but that's not what you want when you when you're trying to breed championship pedigree football like that's not going to happen and it was really disappointing in 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 that way because these leaders like the marshals and the mo wilkerson's i don't think they cared the revises they did not care that season whatsoever they did not care they did not um show the rookies you know the the right way to play they didn't they weren't passionate i felt um I could be wrong, but I'm just, you know, going by what I saw. It just felt like a losing atmosphere, and they were totally okay with that. Um, it wasn't like a hang your heads for five minutes, hang your heads for, like, the week or um, after a loss. It was more like, a, all right, we're going to hang our heads for five minutes and then move on and, and move on to the next thing, start laughing, start joking around. It wasn't like a – it wasn't what I was expecting because I came from college football, and those guys lived and died in college basketball. They lived and died by the loss, right? But when these guys lost, it like really wasn't, eh, whatever. I'm still getting my millions. It's almost like the team felt like they like accomplished something massively by missing the playoffs and going 10-6 and six the year before. They didn't exactly. even make the playoffs. Exactly. And then, I mean, they get to week six, and – I don't know if you guys remember, but they got steamrolled by Arizona and they end up, they're one in five. And that just felt, when you get steamrolled on primetime, is there just a feeling of like hopelessness? Like, was anyone in the locker room? I know you said a lot of guys were just like, whatever. Was there anyone in the locker room on the flip side that's like, this is fucking ridiculous? I will say one thing. You brought up the locker room and I do, my my one memory of Arizona, because it was four years ago, my one memory was Woody Johnson was at that game, which he went to most of them. Um, but he was outside that locker room. It was either Arizona game or the game they got blown out by the by the Chiefs. And I and after Bob was using, I'm the first person you know at the time to go in the locker room. So he goes in with his microphone and he does the um, the fan. Uh, oh, I forgot what he's on six sixty ESPN ESPN um, interviews. And I follow in like I'm I'm in like sixty seconds later. Um, but as I'm waiting to get access to the locker room, Woody Johnson's standing right next to me and he goes, Alex, what do you think about this team? And I'm like, Mr. Johnson, with all due respect, like, I prefer not to answer that question. And he's like, no, no, no. Tell me how you're feeling. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm like, I mean, man, you're paying these guys a lot of money. I wish they worked a little harder for you. And he started laughing. And he was like, you're right. He's like, I'm going to go talk to them. And he went in there and they shut the door. So I still to this day wonder what he said. What did they do after that, the next game? They they lost to Seattle, but they lost by 10. And that was, Seattle was really, really good. 
and they lost to Seattle at home. So then they're one and three. But then they got blown out by the Steelers and Cardinals back to back, and it was just over. Yeah. So they showed a little more fight yeah. against Seattle. Didn't they, did they randomly beat like the Ravens and Browns and like kind of get back into it a little they bit? Did. They did. They did. They were three and five. They beat the Ravens and Browns back to back. Fascinating year to be there. The fact that Woody asked you that, and then they have a closed door meeting, I, it really sums up everything as a whole with the franchise. I, yeah, I think so. And then by the end of that year, because I mean, whatever, they were three and five, three and seven, they were out of it. Like, what are those last like four or five weeks like in the lost season like that, where the team is like, I think Petty was playing quarterback. Oh, right. Bryce, which by the way, I miss Bryce. He was the, my favorite guy on the team. Him and Decker, like the nicest guys. Bryce was so funny. Um, I remember there was one part of the season when we all thought Bryce could actually step up and be our quarterback. And boy, were we wrong. How wrong were we? And I still, like, I'm still mad about it because you, you just what, were rooting for that guy. And he just, he just couldn't cut it. Could happen in the XFL. It's not too late. Yeah. I mean, what, but like, what is everyone's attitude like when you're, I don't know, were they four and 10? We couldn't wait for the season to be over. Oh my God, are you kidding me, Joe? I was like, I, as a team reporter, I could only really report on the good things and I could only do, I could only, I couldn't report on anything. And, and being the first one in the locker room, you don't want to ask questions as a team reporter. Like my boss wouldn't let, allow me. You couldn't ask the tough questions. Yo, why did, why'd you blow that coverage? Why'd you, you know, why'd you fumble that ball on, on the two yard line? Like what's wrong with you? I couldn't ask those questions. I had to you know, sort of like doctor them up and like try to make something out of nothing. And I was tired of doing that because I'm, I want to be a journalist. I want to ask the tough questions. These are professional athletes. They should be able to handle them. So I couldn't, I personally couldn't wait for it to end. I know ownership probably wanted to end. I know people in the office wanted it to end because, you know, when push comes to the shove, this is everyone's well-being. And when the team is losing in the front office or the New York Jets or the Giants or the Cardinals, I don't care who it is, or the New York Mets, it's not fun for people that are working for that team. The entire environment is toxic. You know, the aura is negative. There's not good energy. It's just, it's, it's daunting and it's, it's exhausting. Because you don't, you don't want to wake up and you don't want to go to work.